Well, this morning we are going to finish up our look at Barnabas. Uh, unfortunately, today he, uh, he, he has his last part in the book of Acts, and then he disappears. Uh, that's really just because of, of the author, Luke. You know, we, we don't see a lot of what Peter does after Acts 10, really. I mean, he shows up at 15 for the conference, and then we don't see much of him either. Uh, the book of Acts starts to just uniquely follow Paul and his missionary journey. So other people who were traveling and were ministering in different churches that we read about uh, in some of the letters, they, we just don't see what they're doing. And, and that's what happens to Barnabas, that his path, uh, which has been with Paul, well, it goes a different direction. And so we're going to look today at those divergent paths and, and how they got there. We're going to be in Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41. And uh, what has happened is, is Barnabas and Paul were sent down to Jerusalem from the church in Antioch to, to deal with this question of can Gentiles become Christians and what should we require of Gentiles if they do become Christians, should they be circumcised? Should they have to follow the Mosaic law? And, and the church, the council has decided and they have sent back uh, to Antioch a letter explaining things. And, and so those are the activities that have gone on and Paul and Barnabas have, have stayed there in Antioch and they've been working and preaching and uh, teaching people. And so then we, we pick up in verse 36. After some days... Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. So he just says, let's, let's just go back where we've been and see how they're all doing. Make sure they're okay. Barnabas wanted to take John called Mark along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So, so not only do they... Do they split from each other? They go opposite directions. Remember the, the first journey, the first missionary journey, they went to Cyprus, and then from Cyprus they went up into, a, I, I should do it this way because, you know, if you're looking at the map, it would go this way and then up. Well, Barnabas goes that way, and, and Paul just goes over land. He doesn't take a ship. He walks over the, you know, through Syria into that area. Such a, a, a serious and apparently irreconcilable difference separates Barnabas from Paul. And that, I mean, just think about that. Because if we go back in Paul's history, who was the one that said, I'll vouch for him to the church in Jerusalem? Who was the one who, when he was in Antioch and things were going great, said, I'm going to leave this place and I'm going to go to Tarsus and I'm going to find... Paul or Saul, and I'm going to bring him back, and he's going to serve here with me. You know, it was Barnabas. I mean, Barnabas has been instrumental in Paul's life. 
And yet we see that here, it's Paul's become the leader, you might say. He's the one that suggests to Barnabas, let's go back. Barnabas suggests and wants to take John Mark with them. And, and Paul puts his foot down. No, we're not going to take him. He deserted us. He didn't, he didn't go on to the work with us. Why would you want to take him? And, and, and they are not able to reconcile. This isn't a situation where, where Barnabas says, okay. No, he sticks to his guns. He says, no, I want to take John. And, and Paul sticks to his guns. He says, not on my watch. To such a degree that they finally just split. And so, I think one of the, the, the first things we need to recognize with this and acknowledge is that Christians can disagree with one another. Sometimes quite heatedly. You know, I think of Paul uh, confronting Peter about eating with uh, Gentiles and, and Peter was pulling back and he wasn't having anything to do with the Gentiles because the Jewish believers that showed up. Paul confronted him about it. You know, it's natural. We are not perfect and we all don't have, I mean, we might be in one accord, but that doesn't mean we all are sitting in the same seat, right? We all have different ideas and we have disagreements. And Christians can disagree with one another. I think one of the great things to look at and to see in this is, is how do they have their disagreement? Why do they have their disagreement? And, and how do they reconcile their disagreement? You know, I, I've pointed out that the disagreement is really over John, called Mark. He, he was introduced. Uh, he, you know, went with them after, going, after they went down to Jerusalem to take the, uh, the offering for the, the believers there. And, and he went with them to Cyprus. He went all the way through Cyprus. But when they got to Pamphylia, he turned around and went home. Now, we know from uh, Colossians chapter 4 that John is Barnabas's cousin. So there might be some familial reason that he wants to take him along. But also we see here that as he wanted to take John Mark along with them, and then Paul, he kept insisting that they should not take him because he had deserted them and had not gone on to the work. So what, what we're seeing here is John, uh, excuse me, Barnabas, he might have uh, you know, personal reasons, He's my cousin. He's a relative. But also, if you think about Barnabas and, and his ministry that we have seen through Acts, I would say that his big thing is people. That, that Barnabas is focused on people, and he's focused on building people up, and he's focused on mentoring. He got Saul and brought him in. He went and got him to bring him to Antioch. He's the one that they sent to make sure everything was okay in Antioch. His ministry has largely been about making sure the church is okay and then bringing Paul along. That's what we've seen of him. And so his, his desire to take John with him would seem to follow in line with that. That he's focused on John. He wants to make sure and help John. Maybe John has regretted his actions. Maybe he had good reason to go back that we don't know about next. But he wants to bring him along. He wants to help John grow in this way. And we, we can understand Paul's uh, desires. He's looking at it. He, he doesn't look at it so much as the person as he does the mission. What is his purpose? What is his mission that he is on? 
His mission is to go to those churches and to encourage them. His mission is to take the gospel to someplace new. Isn't that what he's, I mean, he's the guy that's hitting the beachhead. He's the guy that says, I'm going to go where nobody else has shared the gospel. And I'm going to be the first one, and I'm going to introduce the idea to that place. And, and if I can get a couple of believers there, great. They can keep going. I'm going elsewhere. And what does he say to the Romans? He says, I can't wait to visit you all, but my plan isn't to stop in Rome and set up shop. My plan is that when I visit you, to keep going to Spain. Because I want to take the gospel where it's never been. Think about his treatment of Timothy. You know, Timothy is a, 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 a man who is half Greek and half Jewish and had never been circumcised. And Paul wanted to take him along on the missionary journey. But because, not for Timothy's sake, not for Timothy's health, not for anything to do for Timothy, but because of the Jews in the area, Paul takes Timothy and circumcises him. Why? Mission. Not Timothy's well-being. Not, not Timothy's health. No. He didn't want there to be a stumbling block in trying to reach the people in the area he was going to that knew Timothy was Greek and Jewish. Who knew maybe that because of his upbringing he hadn't been circumcised. And I don't know what, you know, I'm, I don't come from that kind of a culture. I don't know if all the men go into a little room to check and say, yep, he's circumcised now and then come out. But apparently... You know, maybe it's just an honor system and Paul doesn't want to lie, so he says, yeah, I, he's circumcised. I, I don't know how they do it. But it wasn't for Timothy's sake, it was for the mission's sake that he took him and circumcised him. Paul is very focused on the mission. And what he's thinking is, we can't take John, he didn't hold his end of the bargain. He deserted us, he'll desert us again. The mission is more important. I can't rely on him. I don't want to take him. They both have fairly good motivation for why they're doing what they're doing. Now, a lot, and it's kind of funny because I, I find in my readings that most, most scholars or, or you know, people that are writing about this generally take Paul's side. Because I, I feel like in uh, modern Christianity, you know, we have this attitude that Paul can do no wrong almost. Well, if, if, you know, for instance, Paul wanted to go back to Jerusalem, even though the Holy Spirit told him, don't go. Even though on his entire trip, prophets kept coming to him, and the Holy Spirit spoke to him everywhere he went, saying, don't go to Jerusalem, you'll be thrown into prison. And what did Paul say? I don't care. I want to be thrown into prison. I'll die for my fellow brothers and sisters that are Jews. He doesn't, and people say, well, he, obviously he was right to do that, and the Holy Spirit was just telling him what was coming. The Holy Spirit wasn't really telling him not to go, except Paul says the Holy Spirit told him, leave this place, don't come back. And I see a lot of that with this, art, this passage, where people think, oh, well, Paul must have had the right reasoning. And I'm, I'm fine with Paul's motivation, and it's helpful to see why he did what he did. I'm just... Aren't people the mission? And so I can see Barnabas is like, we can, do, we can get both. We can help John grow, and we can go and do those things with the churches. But Paul is saying, no, he might desert us. I don't want to take him. I'd rather take somebody else. He's 
focused on the mission more. And Barnabas, he, he's, he's wanting to help somebody grow and change and move. I, I think both motivations are important, and it's helpful to know why they're doing this. You know, it's, it's not like Paul saying, no, I don't want to take him. He snores, and I can't sleep if he's on the journey with us. I'll, I'll, it'll never work. You know, it's important when we have disagreements with one another, when we disagree, that we, we check and make sure to look at our motivations. We need to we need to look at our motivations. Why are, am I pushing the position I'm in? You know, am I, am I pushing a certain position because I'm, I have conviction from, from the Holy Spirit and, and it aligns with Scripture? Or am I pushing it because I have an ulterior motive that's really kind of selfish maybe and personal? And, but I'll, 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 I'll dress it up in Scripture. I'll, I'll dress it up in churchy language. But my motivation is really selfish, maybe. You know, I don't want to do that. Or I don't want, I don't want other people to, to be doing it and then looking down on me because I'm not doing it. We, we can have different reasons. I think even if, even if the motivation is good, it's still good to, to check and to look at, why am I doing this? What is my motivation? Why am I wanting to do this. You know, for, for us as a church to look at our motivation. Why do we do this? Why do we, why do we make one choice and not the other? It might be a good reason. I think, I think it can help us uh, to make sure that we are going the right direction. Well, what, what, what is the motivation for this? And, and when things get tough uh, and we get tired, it, it can help to remember why we're doing certain things. And, and, and so I think both of them had good motivations. I, I can't really fault them. I, I just, you know, if you're going to have me pick somebody, I'm going to be on Barnabas' side more than Paul's. But what do I know? Um, sometimes I, I, I think, you know, maybe things would, maybe I could have done different things if I'd been more focused on the mission and less on people sometimes. Um, anyway, that's a digression. <laughs> In 39, verse 39, we find that their motivations are so strong and they are so unwilling to yield to one another that there occurred a sharp disagreement. And, and, and that's actually just one word. We can't even translate the word without using two words. A sharp disagreement. It, it is a, 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 something that provokes a person uh, in such a way that it literally jabs them or cuts them so that they have to respond. It, it, it's that idea. It's kind of the idea of a, a goad that you would poke an animal to make it go. Uh, you know, if you have ever been poked by somebody or something and, and it, you instantly reflexively jump away, that's what this is talking about, that there was such a sharp disagreement. It was something that, you know, they were cutting one another, in essence, and... Each one had to respond to the other one. For a, for a more positive look on that word, in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, the writer of Hebrews encourages the church that we should look to uh, stimulate one another to doing good deeds. That word stimulate is the same word that here we have translated sharp disagreement. There was such an action going on that they separated from one another. And, and that word separated 
There's a word, chorizo, it means to leave, to depart, to, to separate. Uh, it's used like, you know, Paul in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, he says, uh, you know, a man should not leave his wife unless certain reasons, you know, if she leaves him, great, that's fine, if, if she's not a believer, but, but you shouldn't leave your spouse, you know, if they're willing to live with you, if they're not a believer and you are. And that word leave, so he's talking about divorce. He's talking about separating from man and woman is chorizo. This word is apochorizo. It is a stronger use of the word, and it's only used a couple of times, and it's used here. And it means not just to leave, but to leave away from. And it could be translated as rent apart. It's the idea of taking a piece of cloth that is whole and tearing it in two and then throwing the pieces as far away from each other as you can. It's not an amicable separation. There is violence and tearing and departing. It's not just, oh, if they leave, they leave. It's not, oh, I'm going to go over this way, you go over that way. No. It, the idea of the word is violent, that they have been torn apart, that they have harshly split themselves. And, and so for us to say, well, it was, you know, it was a, um, it was a, it was, you know, they weren't angry at each other. It was okay. No, you know, they might not have written each other for a couple of years after this. They might not have sought each other out for a few years after this. Have you ever had just, you know, a, a good relationship and then something happens and you separate from one another and you have nothing to do with one another and then you don't call them or you don't write them? But maybe after a couple of months, maybe after a couple of years, depending on the level of the break and the hurt, you might you know, re-engage, or at least you, you get to the point where you stop wishing that they fail at everything so that they would know you were right, and you start hoping good things for them. You know, That's the kind of relationship and the breaking of the relationship that we're seeing here. They uh, separated from one another because of this sharp disagreement that they could not reconcile. They split, each, they split from one another. And it's one of those things where, on the face of it, it's, it's not good. You would like it to be better, but it's also, this is one of those areas where it, we're, we're seeing that the Bible is not cleaned up for us. We get the warts and everything. We see that they don't always do things well. You know, that, that they were both so stuck to their guns that they could not reconcile in this. And yet we can also see the, the good that can come out of it. Because now you've got, um, Barnabas going to Cyprus. You, you've got Paul going up to Cilicia and, and, and um, Syria. Paul takes Silas, who had come back with them from Jerusalem. Barnabas takes Mark. So now, instead of two guys traveling through one area, you've got four guys, two and two, traveling through two areas. It's not the plan. It wasn't what they were looking for. But in essence, as we look back on it, we can say, well, look, the ministry of God's church has grown. You know, we, we, we don't like the idea that churches split. Uh, some of you maybe have been participants or have been in a church that you know, a disagreement happened or you've been around it or you know of them where, where it's, not an, it's not an amicable good thing. You know, we were planted uh, by Ash Creek. There was, a, there was a man who said, you know, there really needs to be a church over on that side of things near the lake. 
And Ash Creek said, okay, let's do that. And their people came over, and for a couple of years, some members that went to Ash Creek, who were still members of Ash Creek, came over here until the church was going well enough that they felt they could go back to Ash Creek. And years ago, we helped plant another church. And I don't know how, how it worked, whether people went to that church for a while and then came back afterwards. That's different than a split. A split happens because two groups, generally, in the church can't reconcile and they're angry at each other and usually it's about control of something. A lot of church splits were happening in the, in the 70s and 80s and maybe even in the 90s over, over worship music. What do we sing? How do we sing it? You know, and, and, and they can't reconcile. They can't figure out how to work it together. So one group finally gets fed up and says, we're going to go and make our own church. I've seen things where senior pastors were the one to take the split and go somewhere else. And at first, it's bad. At first, we look at it and we say, this is a horrible statement about the church to the world. What a witness is this? This is a terrible witness. But over the years, over the years, what happens? Well, you actually have two churches in a community, and hopefully those two churches are reaching different people, not just trying to rob each other from the people they've already got. And I've even known churches that, to, to, you know, where, where people get along. I've seen situations where in, in a community you've got a church split and those people don't talk to one another for, for decades. And they have nothing kind to say about those people over there. And that's not a good witness. But I've even met churches and pastors that were sitting together and they were both from two different churches, but they were the churches that had split. You know, they, they had been one church. And they were the pastors of, of, of those two churches now. And, and the people had gotten back together in kindness and love, even though they were two different churches still. They at least had good feelings towards one another. And, and so it, it's something that we don't like, and, and it's not pleasant to go through. But we also have to recognize that even in the bad things, God is working. And even when we are fighting and have disagreements, God is using that, and that God even uses conflict. God uses conflict to grow his church. You know, I would say not just this kind of conflict, any kind of conflict. I mean, one of the, one of the things I'm seeing, and maybe you've seen it as well, with uh, us pulling out of Afghanistan and the church has gone underground if they were able to survive. And we don't know what's going on. But one of the things I've seen, you've probably seen it too, is that God's church grows in persecution. God's church grows in conflict. Um, most good things happen because of conflict. You know, you, you're not going to get stronger unless you have some conflict with exercise equipment. You know? If it just sits there and you look at it and you keep it dust-free, that doesn't do you any good. You actually have to come into conflict with that exercise equipment for it to benefit you. Everything, think about it, everything that we, we grow through, school, learning your letters, learning your numbers, that's conflict. Trust me, we've had a lot of that kind of conflict in our house. But you grow from that. And God uses conflict to grow his church, even internal conflict can grow his church. And that's what he does with Barnabas and Paul here. 
and they're not able to walk with each other. They're not able to go on the same journey because they don't agree on what their primary focus is. And as Amos says, do two men walk together unless they have made an appointment? Unless they're in agreement with one another? Do two people walk together? No. They've got to agree. They've got to make the appointment to go together. And so they go different directions. And it kind of cracks me up because Barnabas, he does. He sails away. Where does he go? Cyprus, his old backyard. You know, the place where things were good and where he was the leader. Place where John Mark was able to walk with him and stay with them. And so they go back through kind of the easier route, you might say. They go to easier pastures. But Paul, he goes up. He doesn't even follow the same path he took the first time. He goes up through Syria and Cilicia. He ends up going into more difficult pastures. A tougher area. I mean, just think. What happens to Paul almost immediately? He and, and, and the next chapter, he and Silas go to Philippi. They end up being thrown into jail. You know, imagine if it had Paul and Barnabas and John. Maybe Barnabas and John weren't, weren't the right ones for that, that mission and ministry. So they go one way and, and, and Paul and Silas go the other. But if we were to turn to, to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, the end of this story is not all oh, these guys separated and that was it. Because in 2 Timothy 4, as, as Paul is at the end of his life, he, he is writing to Timothy. He tells him at the end, he says, pick up Mark and bring him with you. For he is useful to me for service. And maybe we make too much of that. Maybe we're jumping the gun and reading into it. But mostly what the church has understood from that passage is that somewhere between Acts chapter 15 and 2 Timothy 4, Paul got to the point where he recognized John Mark's okay. Barnabas has worked with him in some way, and somehow they have reconciled, we think. And Paul gets to the point where he tells Timothy, hey, pick up Mark. He's useful to me for service. I, I want him with me. How great is that? that? That a guy who he said, I don't want him with me, he's no good, now, as he's in prison, he's saying, bring Mark. He's useful for me. I want him with me. How great. And in Colossians chapter 4, where we found out that he was Barnabas' cousin, Paul is talking to the church, and he says, he's writing about, you know, I'm greeting you, this guy's greeting you, John also is greeting you. And by the way, if he comes to you, which you've gotten you know, instructions, but if he, if he does come to you, you know, receive him. Accept him. He's a great guy. What a change has come in their relationship. So even though they have split, that doesn't mean it's the end. And we see that Barnabas in his, in his ministry, he's still doing the same thing he was always doing. He's, he, you know, he, he brought Saul into the church. And at some point, he has brought Mark back to Paul and help them reconcile. Makes you wonder what would have happened if Barnabas had listened to Paul and said, okay, you're right, you've got a good argument. He did desert us. I'll leave him here. 
I mean, maybe John Mark never would have done anything else worthwhile. And like I said, then Barnabas would have been in prison with Paul instead of Silas. A whole lot of things would have gone differently. We don't know. I think one of the important things here, and it's amazing because you know Barnabas is a, an encourager, and yet at this one place, he does not work to encourage Paul. He sticks to his gun, Paul, even though it means they split. And I think one of the things that's important in that is we can oftentimes try to be other people. We can try, instead of, instead of staying true to ourselves, and, and I, I, I don't like that language because honestly, our, you know, it's like, to thine own self be true. No, I need to be true to God. Myself is sinful, and maybe myself is doing the wrong things at times, and in those ways, I don't need to be true. But, but in this sense, it is true that you have been gifted uniquely, and you've been placed somewhere uniquely. That God has a purpose for you and a plan and a desire for you to serve. And we need to be true to that. We don't need to be sitting there trying to be like other people. We don't need to be sitting there saying, well, that other, people's doing, that other person's doing this and this. I want to do those things. We need to be true. Like Barnabas, he was true to, you know, his ministry was not to go to the rough and tumble places. His ministry was encouraging people and helping them to grow and to become more than they were. And that's what he, does, he did with Paul. That's what he does with Mark. But if he had thought, I need to be more like Paul, he could have gone in the wrong direction. It's the right direction for Paul, wrong direction for Barnabas. And in the same way, we need to recognize that you know, our gifts, just like we want to take stock of our motivation and look at why am I doing this, it helps also to say, well, what are my gifts? You know, what, do, what has God gifted me and what am I able to do? Where has he placed me? What, what, things, what interests do I have? You know, different people teach different things and different groups and different people can have gifts of service and then they serve in different areas. It's not all one. A lot of it just comes down to what do I enjoy? What do you enjoy? What do you feel God's joy in when you're doing it? And when we know those things, then we got to stick to them. And so just like Barnabas, we need to be true to God's call on your life. And we know that by how He has gifted us and where He has placed us. And when you're serving God and you're serving God the right way, you know that little tuning fork in your soul goes off, right? We've got to stay true to that. To, to recognize, no, this is what God has called me to. God has not called me to that. I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to go doing that. But instead to be true to what He has called you to. And, and if, if, if being true to what God has called you to, and that causes you to go a different direction than a friend, and maybe, maybe you, you don't work together anymore in the same way, well, that's... That might be the right thing. That might be what needs to happen so that we can grow. And so I love the fact that Barnabas, he stays true to himself and what God has called him to. And I'm looking forward to meeting him someday. I want to encourage you though as well. Be true to what God has called you to. 
Stick with it. And don't get so focused on other people trying to be like them. No. What has God called you to? Make sure we're being faithful to that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the fact that the, the, the evidence that disagreements happen and, and arguments happen in the body of Christ and even to the point where, where people who love one another separate and, and go different directions in different ministry. Lord, we, we don't like it when it happens, but we pray that as we experience disagreements and uh, divergent paths at times, that, that we would recognize why we are going the way we are. What is our motivation? And Lord, if, if we're motivated out of sin, we pray that you would help us to see it, that we would repent of it. But Lord, if our motivations are true to who you have called us to be, if our motivations are consistent with the, the ministry you've given us, we pray, Lord, that, that we would be true to those, that we would hold on to them and stick to them. And we pray, Lord, as a church, that you would help us to be faithful. We pray as individual believers and as a body that in those things that you have given us to do, we would be faithful. We wouldn't be looking at others but we would be looking at Jesus and what you have given us to do, called us to do, and gifted us to do. We pray, Father, that we would be true to you. In Jesus' name, amen.